Welcome to How Story Works from Chipperish Media. I'm concept developer, Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm story expert, Lonnie Diane Rich. We are breaking up How Story Works into four seasons following four topics, character, conflict, structure, and magic. This is season two, Conflict. Today on How Story Works, the conversation is about romantic conflict, why it's special, why it's so damn hard to write, and how to write it properly in your stories. Story is power. We don't leave power on the table. So let's get to work. Okay, so let's do some reinforcing of the learning because last time we talked about goals and we, we talk about this a lot in terms of what does your character want, right? But, but we really clarified that a little bit to come away with the idea of the central narrative goal. Like what is, mm-hmm. what is the thing that they are in pursuit of in this story that drives the central narrative conflict? Yes. Um, and looking at those goals, we have your ASAP acronym. <laughs> so a good central narrative goal needs to be active, specific, achievable, and personal. And just for proof that the acronym works, those words are not in my notes. Only the acronym is, and I still remembered it. I so know, you and go. you remembered it, which is so awesome. Yes. When I when I have my college students, I'm always like, okay, so I give them the acronym, and I'm like, can you tell me what the acronym is? And I make them say it back to me. Yep. And then half the time, they're like, active, personal, and then they just sat there yep. staring at me. So like, I'm really, really glad that it's working. <laughs> the acronyms eventually will sink in. They do. Well, what's great about this is you've taken a lot of complicated ideas and you've put it into four, mm-hmm. four parts, right? So yeah. in, in short term memory or in learning, the magic number is five plus or minus two. Mm-hmm. That is that is like all that we can hold in our minds at one time. Uh-huh. So up to seven down to three, mm-hmm. that is where your ideal kind of learning opportunity awesome. lies. So you've done a great job. Yay. With that Excellent. Thank you yeah. so much. Yes. So today, this is going to be so much fun because we are talking about a certain area of expertise that one writer who I love very much just happens to have talking about romantic conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, So before we do this, I normally make you define your terms first. And this is not in the script. And I love throwing you under any chance I get. Um, But one thing we don't do a lot of in how story works, which I find ironic, is talk about all the books that yes. you have written. Oh. Um, so I think this would be a great opportunity to do that. Yeah. Uh, for folks that maybe found you via the podcast uh-huh. and haven't read your novels, um, I have read all of your novels. I have enjoyed all of You're your so novels. Sweet. But why don't uh-huh. you tell us a little bit about them and kind of, you know, we're going to talk about some genre differences here or some genre expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, what what books have you written? What kind of books were they? Um, I've written uh, 12 total. Well, I've published 12 books. I've written more than that. I've published 12 books. Um, and they actually kind of fall into um, different char- categories. I have um, four uh, romantic comedies that are kind of like romps. They're very silly. They're very fun. Um, I have four women's fiction stories that will make you laugh. They'll make you cry. Um, and uh, <laughs> and they're, they're more um, internal conflict uh, kind of, of stories of 
you know, a, a woman struggling with her sense of self and identity until she finally figures it out. And then uh, there was one uh, collaborative novel that I wrote, one romantic storyline in with two romance novel uh, heavyweights, um, uh, Anne Stewart and Jennifer Cruzy, who are fabulous. We wrote uh, um, Dogs and Goddesses together. And then I have three novels that I wrote as Lucy March, which are paranormal romances, which I would say um, sort of are, are probably the uh, at the time that I wrote those, I had a lot of my story theory figured out and kind of applied it to those novels. And honestly, I think that those are probably the best novels that I've written as far as narrative structure goes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And the Lucy March books are on Audible mm -hmm. with Amanda Ronconi, who, who is one of my amazing. favorite narrators. She's, an she's amazing so narrator. great. Oh my God, she's yeah, so good. Because, so. you know, like as a writer, you write jokes and when they're performed, like mm -hmm. you don't know necessarily that somebody's going to be able to do them well. And she would perform them like perfect plus. Like she would do what I was thinking and then heighten it with a certain intonation or whatever um and so she was amazing and she made my work better so amanda ronconi whether you're getting uh my books or not to go look her up as an audible narrator and just buy everything she does because she's amazing yeah. she yeah. she's absolutely one of my top so five good. favorite narrators mm -hmm. she's so good yeah. um okay so now that i have forced you to do some <laughs> self-promotion that you hate very much because i love you does that qualify as romantic conflict? Lonnie Dinerich, define your goddamn terms. All right. So romantic conflict. Um, we have talked about central narrative conflict as a narrative conflict, which means it is goal based, right? Romantic conflict is simply the conflict that is keeping two people apart, right? So it is mundane conflict. It is not necessarily, not usually narrative in nature. It can be related to a narrative conflict. We'll talk about that. Um, so when we have romantic conflict, a lot of people get confused about that, especially people who are writing romantic stories. I was a member of a romance Writers of America, which I'll refer to as RWA, uh, for a number of years. I have a lot of good friends who are romance writers. I myself was a romance writer for a number of years. And I know that I got very confused about that at the beginning because we would always talk about like conflict and romantic conflict and how you build the book. And I was never really sure how what kept my characters apart was also like the thing that fueled the book. That is actually the whole reason why we're here today. I got so confused about what was romantic conflict and what wasn't and then I just decided I had to define everything and then I ended up becoming a story expert I just sort of fell and tripped and that's what happened. I love it that's um, yeah, great yes so uh so the romance usually happens alongside the main plot it's usually layered in there um the exception for this kind of thing can be if the central narrative conflict is an internal conflict for the protagonist that is keeping them from being with the the object of their affection um doesn't happen a lot but but the movie Roxanne is actually an example of, of exactly that thing. So generally, however, it's not the narrative conflict. It's not the central narrative conflict. The romance is an arc that is happening alongside whatever you're doing with the narrative story that's happening. So if you think of the romance as an arc and the central narrative conflict as the conflict, um, that kind of helps to separate that out a little bit. That was where I used to really, really get confused. The romantic conflict 
simply keeps the couple apart. The romantic arc is the evolution of the relationship. The central narrative conflict is what you build the structure on. It's what keeps the story going. That is usually something different. An example of that is romancing the stone, right? Um, so we have Joan Wilder and she has the goal of saving her sister. And then here we have um, Jack Colton who is helping her with that goal. Um, and then they are, you know, blocked by other people. But what is actually keeping them apart you know when during the part where they end up having to fight and that's what keeps them apart at the part where the romantic conflict is at its height that's something different but that's something that kind of layers in and also can can feed into the central narrative conflict but it is not the central narrative conflict and i think that that is the big thing that that people who want to write romantic stories within their stories need to keep in mind you are joan wilder i am joan Joan wilder The I love that I read so your much. books. I read all your I books. Read all I your books. So much. Your, that that is my favorite I love returning them. bit. Oh my god. It's so good. I read your so, books. Yes. I read your books. You are Joan Wilder. The Joan <laughs> is so cute. Um, yes. So I really, really love this. Um the way that you have simplified these things. Mm-hmm. Romantic conflict keeps two people apart. Yes. Um the the romantic arc is the evolution of that relationship yes right but the central narrative conflict is what is keeping that story going Mm -hmm. while that relationship is evolving yes Mm -hmm. so i think that's fantastic yeah you keep that all separate in your head it's going to make things a lot easier as somebody who who wrote romances without understanding any of this i can tell you it will definitely make your life a lot easier if you're going to have a romantic story and i mean let's face it most stories have a romantic if not if not that central to it then it's in the subtext it's in the subplots there you know yeah um so there's usually a romantic story i think that's mostly because we always want a sex scene you know um it's it's fun to have a romance um in there people love a love story um so it tends there tends to be some level of a romantic story going on in almost every story not all of them but almost every story you will find that so understanding how to write romance whether or not you are a quote-unquote romance writer I think is a really good thing so you talked about like struggling with this right and and it being kind of really tough to figure out so why is a good romance story so hard to write Oh, God. I mean, the first thing is that, you know, you want people as your your romantic couple, right? Um, showing people who work well together, you know, um, who have chemistry, who like each other, you know, um, but can't be together, right? So you ha- that's how you build a romantic conflict is that they're good together, but they can't be together. They care about each other. They're great together, but they can't be together, right? Um, so you have to build a conflict that is strong enough to keep them apart, yet something that can be overcome by the end of the story so it has to be both believable it's something that's impossible to get over and yet something that you end up getting over you know at some point or another um so that can make it really really complicated um and you know the conflict itself can be an internal conflict you know in the romantic conflict they like each other but you know say they're too insecure or scared to admit it that's the kind of thing you see in Roxanne right which actually does end up being part of the the character the Steve Martin character's um arc throughout the whole thing that's very very rare Roxanne is a very rare example because very rarely 
is the romantic conflict tied in with that narrative conflict. But that's a circumstance where it is. Um, but this is where like when we first started talking about conflict and I talked about false conflict, the secrets, the lies, the misunderstandings, right? Um, that happens a lot within these romantic stories, right? Because it's strong enough to keep them apart. But in the end, you just go, oh, I just didn't understand or, oh, it was somebody lied to me or there was a secret that I couldn't tell you, um, this kind of thing. And then once the truth comes out, once everybody understands what's going on, then suddenly the couple is able to be together. So false conflict in a romantic context is something mm -hmm. that is that is seems like the magic bullet, right? Because it's something that can't be overcome until they realize that it's not true and then it's easily overcome. But the only yeah. problem with that is that it's almost always unsatisfying. Yeah. And I wonder, I've been wondering a lot about this because, um, mm -hmm. you know, I've read a, a lot of books about writing or like looked at examples and mm -hmm. how people teach it. And there there seems to be, I don't want to put this in a, in a, I don't want to put this in a, a critical a criticism space. Yes. Mm -hmm. But there seems to be kind of a a go-to maybe starting template mm -hmm. when you want to write this kind of story. He's annoying. Yeah. She's clumsy. Yeah. And that's his sister. Like over right. and over and over and over and over and over and oh over again. Oh my God. Don't and even tell me another heroine who is perfect in every clumsy. way, has no personality, but she tends to trip. And clumsy. that's exactly. And he's drop dead gorgeous and a billionaire at 29, but oh my God, he's so annoying. Okay. And annoying I, is so vague and they use it all the time. No, all the time. No romantic story should ever be allowed yeah. to use the word annoying. Or clumsy yeah. ever mm -hmm. again. Yeah. But I think the reason this happens yes. is not because people are intellectually lazy, mm -hmm. but because it is so, it has become, like, I don't know if this is a, a meme or if it's it's a common it's so common it's so prevalent that mm -hmm. we we all speak it whether yeah. we know it or not mm -hmm. when and we're very comfortable with it right we know what that means in right. a story mm -hmm. and so it it feels almost intuitive yes to start there mm -hmm. you know and so like I don't ever want to explain any of this and and have someone who's like well my characters were clumsy and annoying and I thought that was his sister feel yeah. bad because that, like it's not the that's not the point well, right yeah I've also everybody's um, a mimic like we all start out doing yeah, what we've seen exactly. and we've seen a lot of that yeah mm -hmm. yeah we've seen so much of this right mm -hmm. um that and I, so I think like just intentionally stepping back to even say, okay, well, what does it look like when it's not this? Mm -hmm. You know, how does that work when you're not going down these these already well grooved roads? Yeah, you know, and it I can would be a say, really good yeah. way to think about it. You don't yeah. want to be mean, but I would say it's lazily grooved roads. I mean, effective, like it works, but the mm -hmm. he's so annoying, she's so annoying, you know, that kind of thing. Um, well, I mean, I think there's an argument for easy. I think there's a bigger argument for expected. Um, and I say this mm -hmm. like as someone who, okay, my personality, when I got this idea many, many years ago that I wanted to write a book, yeah. I went to a workshop mm -hmm. because when I want to learn something, I go to class. Like, <laughs> that's that's right. how I, that's how I function. Uh -huh. Right. Well, this was basically taught in that class. I yeah. thought this was how it was supposed to be done. Oh, they like, taught I really you did. That? Yes, dude. Like I, I genuinely thought this was the is right it, thing. Is, and it, because is it too late to get your money back? 
<laughs> but and because I didn't want to uh-huh. write that way and I wasn't drawn to those kind of stories, I walked away saying, well, I'm not a fiction writer. Like it was oh. one of many examples yeah. that, that made me feel like mm-hmm. that. Um, and I don't think that person taught it maliciously. No, I think sure. it worked for them. Right. And so they are trying to explain what they have learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think because this is so prevalent that, you know, a lot of the times you might feel like your story is supposed to to work this way yes and and that is not the case that like is we, we, we hereby give you permission like yeah that is not a thing you, you don't have, to, have do. to do that I mean the thing is is that it can work like the false conflict of oh no that was my sister right like it works it's a it's a conflict that causes problems and then we resolve them but like I said it's unsatisfying right good romantic yeah. conflict is actually based on real conflict like no amount of talking is going to make Juliet not a Capulet you know? Yeah. Um, but Romeo and Juliet, you know, has a tragic ending because they can't get over that romantic conflict. It ends up killing both of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, spoilers for the, the you know, 400 year old <laughs> I can't story. Believe you're spoiling Shakespeare. I oh my know God. what's wrong with me. Um, so, and this is why, like, romantic conflict is really super hard. So, while I joke, you know, like, say, like, it's lazily, uh, it's, a, it's a road that is lazily paved, like, it's also that it's just, it's really hard to find something something that's going to be a real barrier, but also something that the couple can eventually get past if you decide that you want to write a happy ending. And most stories uh, like their romances to end happily. I, I think you could argue that a majority, a, a vast majority of the stories that have a romantic story usually like to have a happy ending to that romantic story. Um, so this is where the love triangle comes in, uh, because if it's not his sister, then, you know, you've got uh, you've got this love triangle, it it creates an easy romantic conflict um, because using a love triangle as a de facto romantic conflict shorthand is why people hate love triangles. Like it's done, you know, Um, but it works, right? You know, as you've got these two people and you can't decide between them, you know, um, it it works. Or, you know, I'm in love with her and she's got a boyfriend, right? The first two seasons of, um, of The Office, you know, were predicated on that. That was the romantic conflict and it worked. You know, it was actually, it was nice in The Office. And they built that up nice and slow and all that kind of stuff. So uh, love triangles actually can work. Um, where they don't work is is when you've got um, so so each of the angles on the uh, the triangle is a vertex, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I don't know. My geometry isn't good. I think it's I'm called, nodding. I'm here nodding, I'm, saying yes. I'm you sound very sure. smart. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. a vertex. Anyway. Um, so when you have like, you know, one vertex is the person in the middle, right? One, and then each of the others are these two that they get to choose between, right? Um, and if one of those vertices is a fucking asshole that nobody likes and that is completely ridiculous and, you know, that is a crap ass love triangle because then it's not really that you're, you're, you're instead looking at the person at the top of the triangle being like, well, what exactly about this is so difficult for you to understand, you know? Um, so that can also be a problem. But um, but that's why a lot of people, I think, hate love triangles um, because they are often done really poorly. But when you have a good love triangle with two vertices that are both 
like good, maybe good in different ways. Um, and then somebody has to make a choice. I mean, that is, that can be actually really good mm-hmm. and really interesting. Um, but, uh, but romantic conflict, the thing that keeps them apart, um, does need to be something that is significant enough that these people who have this wonderful chemistry, who are clearly attracted to each other, aren't just, you know, getting together. We keep them apart for a while and then get them together at the end in a story that is a romance, you know, um, yeah. because that's that's fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned Happily Ever After mm-hmm. um, for... Uh our delightful audience at home. Yes. We are now recording in front of a live audience, which is very, very cool yeah. with some of our, our Patreon supporters. Um, and so we had a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anya from the Hallowed Ground Storycast yes. asked, does a romance have to have a happily ever after? Oh, and that is such an interesting question. Um, Yeah, I mean, okay, yes and no. Um, romances, the way that the genre is defined by the publishing industry do generally require that they have a happily ever after at the end, that the couple is together, that the future looks so bright, they got to wear shades, um, that that's <laughs> where we leave this couple in, in a nice, resolved, happy place. Um, that said, that's for romance as a genre. So I'll say for capital R. Are romances for a story that is essentially romantic at its core do they have to end up together no I think 500 days of summer is romantic in a lot of ways um I think that uh oh god the eternal um sunshine of the spotless mind oh, is wildly romantic so and yet um you know one of the things that I think you come back to is that a thing is not beautiful because it lasts Right. A thing mm-hmm. is beautiful because it is beautiful in the experience of it and that people need to be together forever in order for a story to be at its core, a romantic story. I think that that is not the case. Um, but for a yeah. capital R romance in the traditional publishing genre, that is a requirement for uh, for publication generally. So do they have to mm-hmm. have a happily ever after? I guess it depends on how you define your goddamn terms right um it depends <laughs> on how you define your terms if it's a, yeah. a capital r romance yeah probably mm-hmm. but you can tell a wildly romantic story in which we get that bittersweet uh ending where they do not end up together and that is also narratively legit totally okay yeah well and a whole lot of just different kind of yeah. stories have romance as a sub story yes. right like mm-hmm. you still have a romantic element flavor whatever mm-hmm. in the story yeah. right mm-hmm. so um, I love your theory about why this is the case, by the way. <laughs> well, like I said before, most stories have at least a sub story, like romantic subplot or whatever. They have an element of romance. And, and the reason for that is because we want a sex scene, because eventually we want a sex scene or we want that moment where they're, um, you know, where they, they finally are able to give in to their passions and kiss at least or something like that. That is a very fun 
That's a fun experience. It's a fun experience to be able to fall in love vicariously. And because we can't always fall in love all the time, we only get that experience, you know, a few times, right? Uh, When we want to have the experience of falling in love, we can definitely do that. Um, But I really, I think that most stories have it because they want a sex scene. If you look at, you know, the like kind of uh, quote unquote romantic elements that you'll find with like a Bond girl, you know, um, that is different from the kind of romance stories that you would have maybe in other kinds of stories um that i think is more about a a sex i mean you know i mean like the name of one of them is pussy galore i mean let's just not (laughs) it's not you know tiptoe delicately around the bond girls and what they are but the girls are always there there's always a girl for him to chase and um and and capture have the conquest you know so I, I wanted somewhere in there to ask, is this a kissing book? Uh, mostly because I love the Princess Bride and right. I end up saying that line a lot. Yeah. Um, but is it like, you know, are you giving me romance when that's not what I came here for? But I think it, it is in a lot of stories because we are humans and loving each other is, is part of that experience. Yeah. Right. Um, but one thing that, that you have explained, I've never heard anywhere else that I really love both for fiction and for life yes is that you define a good relationship as two people who work well together yes now I um okay like anybody who has followed me and my podcast or listened to me talk at all uh knows that this is to me central to a good relationship yes both in and outside of the fiction arena you know that people who work well together are people that we want to be together we want people who actually function really really well together who can um read each other and accomplish things together I find that incredibly sexy I also also love a love story between a person and their work. So, you know, I mean, this is kind of like, I love that love story as well. Um, But the thing is, the problem is in a lot of these stories, and I see it happen in um, in actual like romances where the the, um, relationship is central to what the story is there to do. um, And also where, you know, relationship is secondary is this kind of like, I'm hot, you're hot, let's be hot together. And there's absolutely nothing about these characters that when you look at who they are, as people makes them really work well together um there is a movie called game night um that i believe i forced you to watch with joshua unruh not too long ago um Mm -hmm. and we talked about it uh i believe it was for how story works wasn't it that we watched it was yes yes, exactly um so in game night we have these two characters who are both really into games they're highly competitive and they work really well together as a team when they've got to deal with all this stuff i think that builds a wonderful and believable relationship um you know the when you just simply have two people who are young single and pretty you know and you put them together and then like that's supposed to be enough to make them a couple um i always find that incredibly unsatisfying as a romantic story um so whether mm-hmm. it is the main story or whether it is a sub story um who characters are as people should be compatible 
um, should be fun to watch them together. Um, and they should work well together. Um, because if they don't, yeah. then it's just, it's just not going to work. You know, it's not going to be a satisfying story. they don't have to find each other annoying. They like do they not just... have to find each other annoying. That ends up being the sub that, that stands in for a, you know, a romantic conflict is, oh, he's so annoying, you know? Um, and that somehow that, that, uh, he's so annoying thing is, um, is because, um, that's the only romantic conflict that we can pull in because we want a romantic conflict that's easy to get over. So her deciding that he is no longer annoying, um, I guess mm -hmm. is part of that. Um, but also you need a more specific adjective, like uh, annoying is so vague. There's nothing to it. Um, you know, like yeah. if, if you don't like somebody and I mean, having two people who don't like each other, this is where we get a lot of this like bickering that we had a lot of this moonlighting kind of thing going on where we've got two people who are just at each other's throats all the time, but there's incredible chemistry and the sex is amazing, you know? Um, but because they're at each other's throats all the time, that's the source of the romantic conflict. Uh, that is definitely like a lot of fun. You can have a lot of fun with that. But in the end, Dave and Maddie are not going to be believable to have like a good life together because they work well together. Dave and Maddie, I'm re referring to Moonlighting, which is a TV show from the 1980s that I don't believe is streaming and nobody can get it on DVD anymore. So uh, <laughs> it is a formative, uh, like a TV show for me, but a lot of people may not know what I'm talking about. But basically we had these two characters who were, you know, uh, absolutely the pinnacle of 1980s will they or won't they um, characters. You can think of Sam and Diane on Cheers, how they used to fight all the time and they had all that bickering um, and did mm -hmm. not work well together. And in the end would not be a couple that we'd want to see together forever. Um, same thing yeah. with Dave and Maddie. So you can have a really hot flame burning pretty bright with people who uh, uh, constantly are, are bickering and yelling at each other. It can be fun. It can be sexy. But in the end, that flame is going to burn out. It's not a right. satisfying relationship unless mm -hmm. it evolves into something where they um, they learn to respect and, and truly value each other. It's it's not a good right. relationship to base that story on. OK, well, let's talk about uh, when you do want the romance to be the main heart mm -hmm. of the story. Mm -hmm. Oh, can I can I pun that any oh, worse? Baby, oh, my God. You punned that so hard. Wow. I love it. I love it. I didn't even do that one on purpose. I it is late know. at night and I am tired. Wow. Okay, that was great. <laughs> That's um, all right. Let's but if keep you, going. Yeah. <laughs> you intentionally want to write a capital R romance. Yes. Or a romantic story. I mean, I would say that this yeah, applies regardless of whether yeah. you want the capital R romance that is the, the, the genre romance or whether you want to write a story that just just like incredibly romantic. Um, but the, like first things first, as we said before, the romantic conflict is almost never the central narrative conflict unless it's about an internal conflict within your main character in the Roxanne example. If you have not seen Roxanne, I highly recommend it. It is a lovely, really enjoyable movie excellent example of an internal conflict upon which an entire structure is based. Um, so, but all that said, romance can be the main reason that you are telling this story. Um, you just will have something else holding up the narrative structure. Um, and let's be really clear about this. Your central narrative conflict in your structure can be simple and direct, making way for any number of genre styles, adventure, comedy, romance, mystery, whatever, you know? Um, so, so 
I mean, having a central narrative conflict that is not strictly about the romance is fine. It can be, you know, you just need a protagonist with a goal and an antagonist with a goal that can hold up the story. Um, so in this circumstance, um, your couple is going to be like you're either two main characters having parallel stories running alongside each other, or we're going to have co-protagonists, um, you know, one way or another. Um, but co-protagonists is where we have two people who are both uh, fighting the same antagonist in the same battle again to use a um an example that we used earlier uh um, romancing the stone we have these two uh characters um in uh in joan wilder and jack colton who are working together to fight the same uh antagonist um you can have a situation where we have one main protagonist so we have one character who is our main protagonist that protagonist has another antagonist that is you know likely external um who is um creating the narrative structure upon which the story is based and then the love interest is a sub protagonist they might have their own um subplot story in which they are the protagonist but it'll be shorter it's not the one that the main structure is based on um that kind of thing um or you can have a situation in which uh, your characters are the protagonist and the antagonist in which the two love interests are actually uh, caught in a conflict that is the conflict upon which the entire thing is built. One is the protagonist, one is the antagonist. Uh, that is a very difficult needle to thread because that means that one of our beloved pair that we love and we want them together um, is going to have to lose. Um, is going to mm -hmm. have to be beaten by the other one. Uh, that can be really, really difficult. Um, and I have two examples that I go to for this uh, generally. Um, an example of this done well is His Girl Friday, in which we have the character of Hildy who comes back to see her ex-husband, Walter Bishop, to tell him to leave her alone. She is going to go marry this boring dude, Bruce, who sells insurance and live with his him and his mother up in Albany, right? Um, Albany, which throughout all of His Girl Friday, which takes place in New York City, is is spoken of as the fifth ring of hell. It is, uh, <laughs> it's very fun. Um, so we have these two characters. Hildy uh, wants to marry Bruce, uh, but Hildy is also a journalist, and there's a big story going on. And Walter uses that to draw her back in because he wants her there. He wants her there as a journalist. Uh, in in the I mean, there's there's tons of terrible things to be said about Walter Bishop, which are completely fair if you do an analysis of this movie. Um, but in the in the highest um, interpretation of his goals and what he's working for, he knows that she's a journalist, that she loves that job and that he wants her to have that. Uh, and the fact is that if she has that job, she is also having that job with him, you know. Um, so he fights for that. She fights to go and live with Bruce and, and mother up in Albany um, and she loses that fight in the end Bruce and mother go to Albany without her and she is not getting married again and she and Walter stay together so we watch Hildy fight for this the whole time and then in the end she loses but while we have this external conflict going on between um, Walter and Hildy while we are watching an entire um, movie of him just beating her down relentlessly ruining her life. Um, 
we also know that that's what she wants. We also know that she came there specifically to tell him to leave her alone so that he would not leave her alone, so that he would break her up so that she wouldn't have to go to, uh, to Albany with Bruce and mother and live the rest of her days not being a journalist. Um, and we do get some textual clarity of that at the end when she starts to cry and she says, you were going to let me go to Albany, right? You know, and there's a point there. So she loses, but we want her to lose because her goal is stupid and she should be a journalist because that's who she is and we know who she is. And also these two work beautifully together when we see them working together. And that's why that is a good romance. There's also a lot of patriarchal and sexist reasons why it's a bad romance. Um, and I talked about that in detail in my episode of How Story Works on His Girl Friday. Um, so that is actually an example of that kind of conflict where we have the romantic couple as protagonist and antagonist. That's an example of that working well because the uh, the one who is fighting for their goal really doesn't want their goal. Um, and just right. needs to let it go. Um, so we've got that. Uh, the example of it done terribly is one of my favorite terrible, terrible movies, which is You've Got Mail. Um, You've Got Mail, we've got uh, the character of, I believe, is it Kate? She's always Kate. I don't know what it is. Whenever I see Meg Ryan, I always think of her as Kate, but I can't remember what her name is And <laughs> You've Got Mail. I don't remember. Um, but anyway, uh, so she is, Meg Ryan owns this uh, children's bookstore in New York. It is charming. It is lovely. She's got a quirky staff. It's small, but she's making it. And then Tom Hanks moves in with a big Fox Books around the corner, um, and they end up going to uh, battle with each other. Meanwhile, they're also um, in anonymous through the internet have been messaging each other by wild coincidence and falling madly in love with each other. Um, so while they are, um, they are both, um, you know, it, caught in this conflict um, at the same time, they're falling in love because they don't know who this anonymous person is that they're falling in love with. Um, so we have him uh, realizing this early knowing who she is, continuing this fight, destroying her life and her business, which is this business that she inherited from her mother that meant the world to her. Um, and, uh, and messing with her the whole time and then like positioning himself to become her friend and confidant after he's destroyed her life. Um, and making fun of this guy on the internet that she's in love with. So he's playing both of those roles. Um, he is messing with her. He is gaslighting her. He ruined her life. And then in the end, you know, it's, can you ever forgive me? Look, I have a dog. Um, and that's <laughs> supposed to like make that okay. Um, and it doesn't. Um, so, uh, so we see him just being terrible and destroying her life and continuing to destroy her life after he knows who she is. Kathleen, it's Kathleen. Her name is Kathleen. It's Kathleen. Kathleen Kenny. All I, all I remember Kathleen is Kelly. FOX. Yeah, I just F -O -X. remember FOX. Yes. Uh, Kathleen Kelly, I believe That's her name is. Um, huh. I knew it would come to me eventually. And uh, so anyway, we see him destroy her life and lie to her and gaslight her. And then at the end, I'm supposed to be happy that she's with this dude. Um, and it's absolutely terrible. And it, I will not stand by it. But man, I fucking love that movie. So this is also an example <laughs> of you can enjoy a movie that is truly, truly terrible in a million ways. And that is OK. Uh, but yeah, this is where yeah. we have the romantic couple 
pitted against each other as protagonists and antagonists, and it does not work. Okay. So to recap very quickly, I just want to go back to connect this character roles with romantic conflict again. Um, So you have two people... Uh, we're presuming two people, maybe it's more, but, but let's say two just yeah, to, to Yeah, there's also it. a lot of heteronormative stuff. I'm doing she and yeah, him just I so just that wanna, we, just so that we have know. a distinction between like one and the other, and that's an easy shorthand. Right. But let us just say that non-binary folks also fall in love um, and can yeah. tell well, these and, stories and, and also yeah, gay and, and also like, yeah, so... Well, yeah. and poly relationships. And poly exist. relationships. And so yes. we're just going to break this into couple for, for, for simplicity of explanation. Sake, but yes, right? you can extrapolate yeah. this and it is, does not need to be a, a heterosexual couple at all. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, but when you're thinking about the, these people um, who are going to be in love as part of mm-hmm. this story, then they can exist in that narrative as co-protagonists. Yes. Where they are both fighting the same antagonist, yes. which I think would be fun to write. Mm-hmm. Um, they can each be main protagonists and each have their own stories that are parallel. Yes. They each have their own central narrative conflict, their own story arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, or they can be like one can be the main protagonist and one can be the sub yes. protagonist. So like a main plot and a subplot, and a subplot or secondary right. plot. Mm-hmm. Or not to be confused yeah. with a dom and sub protagonist, <laughs> which is an entirely different kind of story. Um but so you're, you're just kind of thinking about their role. Yes. So they can be co-protagonists. They can each be the main protagonist. They can be main and sub-protagonists. Or they can be protagonists and antagonists where they are actually actively pitted against each other. Yes. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to recap. Well, thank you um, for that because, yeah, it, it can get a little bit confusing um, sometimes all the different ways in which this can play out. And we can also have one where, like, one of them is a main character and they've got a central narrative conflict that fuels the story and the other one is just the love interest and doesn't have a story of their own. Um, that yeah. can happen, too. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Um, so I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that I don't quite know how to word about types of romance stories. And then we're going to end this discussion with my favorite story thing that you've ever, ever, ever said. Okay. So just a preview of what's to come here. Yeah. Um, So when I was prepping for this Uh uh, and, you know, doing a little Googling and looking at like what makes a good romantic story, Mm -hmm. like 99 out of 100 hits that I got on the internet were about romantic comedies. Yeah. And I said, oh, God, please save me. Like, sp- <laughs> no, this is not. No, this is not well, what this I this is the thing, um, though. Romantic comedies, people hate them for good reason because a lot of times they're terrible, but they don't have to be. If people would just listen to this yes. episode of How Story Works and write a better romantic comedy, it'd be fine. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it would be fine. <laughs> so, But I was trying to think about, like, what are the different types? And it, it doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. So in thinking about stories that I like, that might be technically on one of those lists. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. I had about time secretary yesterday, but I'm a cheerleader better than chocolate return to me. Practical magic, book smart, bull Durham, Notting Hill, Shakespeare in love, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and the shape of water. And that is literally all <sighs> I will put in when Harry met Sally because I love the dialogue so much. All right. <laughs> That's it. So the stories go magic, BDSM, magic, gay, gay, heartbreak, magic, books, baseball, poetry, magic. I don't quite know what to do with Notting Hill, except it's interesting. Uh, Notting Hill um, is, I think, a romantic comedy. I think it's a standard uh, romantic yeah, comedy. Yeah, somehow that yeah. made it in there. Right. 
poetry, mm-hmm. psychology, that's basically magic and magic. Yes. That, like, well, then you like magic that's what stories. I got. And these are stories that have <laughs> I, I have not seen all of these. Um, but like the type of romance story, again, like you can have a romance as part of any story because romantic conflict is essentially a mundane conflict. It is not a narrative mm-hmm. conflict. You can mix it with your narrative conflict and it's going to be just fine. It's not going to be fighting that narrative conflict. Um, so you can have that in there. Um, and so I think that basically the only thing that defines a lowercase r romance story is a story where the romance is the main purpose, where this is this is what we're here to talk about is this love. Um, and, you know, out of these, like I would classify When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, Shakespeare in Love, His Girl Friday. Like, those are all romances. Those are all and mm-hmm. those are all like uh, we've happily ever after in three out of four, you know, Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. Anybody who tries to tell me that Shakespeare in Love is not a romantic comedy, even though it does not have, sorry, spoilers, does not have a happy, happily ever after ending. It's crazy. That is a wonderful story of love. It makes me laugh every time and then somebody drowns. Yeah. It's great. I'm going to watch it over. <laughs> um, I love that movie. Yeah. Booksmart um, is not a romance. Booksmart is a love story, and that is a little bit yeah. different. Um, Which is perfect. Yes. Um, and and I, I enjoyed that movie so much. Yeah. Um, but I was really glad that you called that out because your differentiation of romance versus love stories, the first time I heard you do this, yeah. I'm still pretty, like I had to take a moment. <laughs> um, it was it was one of the most enlightening, moving things that I had ever heard recorded on a podcast like that. And, I, you know, and I, I don't say that lightly. Wow. Um, it was absolutely paradigm shifting. Mm-hmm. And so I need you to do it again okay. on demand. Right now. Off the top of my head. Off the top of your uh, head. Because I can tell everybody listening, there's no notes. Yes, there that, are so no notes here. I just have my standard issue uh, romance versus love story rant. And here's what it is. Um, romances are these stories that have this wild romantic conflict. And there's a reason why they can't be together. But then, oh, they're together. And oh, my God, he saved, you know, Lydia from marrying that horrible Wickham and all, you know, or, or, or losing her. Um, her her virtue, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's that's a direct <laughs> reference to um, to Pride and Prejudice. Um, and there's all these like wild and they they there's a rom com run at the end, or somebody's breaking into the airport to say, please don't get on that plane and marry that boy or whatever. Um, those are all romances, and that's okay. Like there is nothing wrong with that. We love having that experience, you know, and it can be really fun. The height of drama, and there's so much at stake because love is everything and love has meaning and love is what we live for. Um, I myself am more moved by a love story, a love story that that can be a romance, you know, um, but mm-hmm. a love story isn't about necessarily the big like hyperbolic moves and the big gesture and all of the running through the airport. A love story is two people who just love each other and are good to each other. As And you can have conflict, you can have fights, you can have things, but in the end, they're going to be there for each other. Um, so, I mean, I end up like the love story for me being central to um, to like a movie or a TV show. I, I love it. Booksmart right there is a, is a friend love story. These two are mm-hmm. not romantic 
romantically involved, but they're wonderful friends and it's a love story. Sherlock, I'm going to argue, um, the Stephen Moffat oh. version on BBC, absolutely yeah. a love story. Um, Sherlock is a love story. Sherlock absolutely. and Watson are a love story. Yep. Um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, um, it's uh, Rebecca and Paula, a love story. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's just so many of these all over the place. I would say that Spike and Buffy... And uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer are a love story. Angel and Wesley in Angel, um, in the series Angel, that is a love story. Um, having a love story uh, be central to the telling of um, whatever the story is that you're trying to tell, um, I think is wonderful. And uh, while I enjoy a romance, I mean, my favorite genre is romantic comedy, even though I will absolutely co-sign uh, anybody who says romantic comedy are terrible and they are because of all of the things I've laid out in this episode of How Story Works. Like these are all the things that end up going wrong uh, that make romantic comedies terrible um, and and they don't have to be. I think one of the great romantic comedies is uh, French Kiss, which I absolutely love with Meg Ryan and Kevin Kline. Um, but love stories are about um, who people are at their core and that love comes in so many different ways ways so many different styles it's friendship it's family it's romance too it's sex it's all of these things but it doesn't have to be um and mm -hmm. so the thing that i really love about love stories and what makes them i think work so well for me is that they often especially if they're if they're platonic if they're not about sex if they're not about this you must be my one true love forever and we will be happily ever after which is ridiculous um, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts um, and I know I'm stealing that from somebody but I don't know who said it so hopefully <laughs> maybe we can look it up and cite it in the show notes because I know that's not mine it's somebody's and I have no idea where I got it from um, but uh, but the love stories are told without this consciousness of we have to have this conflict and we have to keep them apart and we have to do all this stuff. The love story can just develop alongside whatever the narrative story is that you're telling. And you can just allow these people to love each other. Yes, there will be conflict. There will be fights. There will be difficulty. Um, they will love each other both because of and despite who they are. Um, and that, I think, is one of the most beautiful expressions of human experience that there is. And I love seeing it in fiction. I love love stories. I love best friends. I love families. I love people who just love each other and are just good to each other. And that whether or not they're having sex is really irrelevant to the love. The love is the main thing. And so that's why I prefer love stories to romances. Yeah, and I, I do too. And thanks to you, I have the language for that. Because before I heard your explanation for those kinds of differences, I didn't have that, yeah. you know, that language. Um, and it's beautiful. So, um, so do you have homework suggestions for romantic conflict? I do. I do. Anybody out there should watch their favorite romance movie and spin out the central narrative conflict. Try to separate that out from the romantic conflict. See how it relates to the romantic conflict. Um, and ask yourself, what is the relationship based on? Is it just I'm hot, you're hot, let's be hot together? Do they actually work well together? Um, how does the romance work for you? Why 
does the romance work for you? How do you think it might work better? Um, how do you think it might, you know, I mean, there's lots of, like, I love romantic comedies um, because they, uh, they are delightful and I love love stories and romances are dedicated to the love story, um, even though often they, they get it wrong. Um, but I love watching them and they make me happy. But a lot of times I'll be like, well, you know, this doesn't entirely work for me. And these are the reasons why usually the reasons that I've laid out uh, in this last hour. <laughs> so those are the things to look for. Watch your favorite romance or um, romantic movie or love story movie and think about the reasons why it works, why it doesn't, how it could be better. How would you fix it? Those are always fun. Okay, cool. So we end each episode with love what you love. And I say, Lonnie, what stories are you loving this week? But you beat me to the end of the notes yeah. and you tricked things up. And you put what do you love favorite love story because you are a tricky trickster. <laughs> and uh, I had to think about it for a hot minute. Yeah. So we're going to start with you. What, right. I, I think you've mentioned it. What is your favorite romance love story? My favorite romance story is French Kiss. Um, so I would say like as a romance, I really like it. We've got these two people, uh, they are working together to make things happen. There is romantic conflict between them, but they are able to overcome it. And, um, and it's just really lovely and it takes place in France. And I mean, Jesus, I'm a sucker for European stories. I think that's always <laughs> pretty much always going to get me. Um, so I would say my favorite romance story is French Kiss. Um, so what did you come up with? So I try to think about this in terms of um, like one, a movie that would be classified as a romance mm -hmm. that I have watched multiple times on purpose. Yes. <laughs> um, and so the answer to that was Ever After. Uh -huh. And this is a, a Cinderella retelling with Drew Barrymore. And I'm basically there for Drew Barrymore yeah. because I, you know, she's I think wonderful. she's great. Mm -hmm. um, she's so freaking adorable. Mm -hmm. uh, but I like this fairy tale twist mm -hmm. because I love fairy tales. Cinderella it just like it it needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And this is a proactive protagonist, Cinderella, with a clear goal mm -hmm. that is not marrying a prince. Love it. She knows how to handle a sword. Yeah. She puts the prince up on his sh her shoulders and carries his ass out of the woods. <laughs> the fairy godmother is an artist. Yeah. Like the prince is an actual person with like stuff to learn. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny and it's sweet. And I have watched it. And Angelica Houston is the evil stepmother. And I have like serious feelings mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. Like it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, but I have seen it many, many times and still enjoy it. Oh, wonderful. Uh, but yeah. But my favorite recent love story uh, was Wild Nights with Emily. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is the the life and love of Emily Dickinson. Oh. And they they the starring actor in that is a comedian yeah and when I saw that I was like what were they thinking what were it is so good oh I need to the see performance that. is so good yeah. um the whole thing is is delightful and dear and lovely um and and I got so much more out of that movie than I ever expected mm -hmm. to. And I absolutely love it. So highly recommended. I think it's on Hulu, but it's fantastic. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I'm absolutely going to watch that. That sounds great. All right. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag HowStoryWorks. You can also follow all of our shows and news at Chipperish. HowStoryWorks and everything Chipperish Media does is made free to all by our generous patrons. If you're getting value out of this discussion, we ask that you help us out by kicking a dollar or two a month our way so we can keep making sure that every vertex in our love triangle is sexy and awesome. How can we possibly choose? 
<laughs> this episode of How Story Works is brought to you by the Chippers Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These folks are the reason why How Story Works is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our January producers, Shelly, Kristen, Jonathan, Jonathan, Rose, Erica, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers, we're hot. You're hot. Let's be hot together. <laughs> Stuff is happening for our Patreon supporters. Kelly and I released our discussion of the Queen's Gambit for all patrons. That is up on Patreon for anybody who supports Chipperish Media. Uh, $5 and up supporters get access also to my new video podcast with Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd. Let's watch Roulette, where Ian and I roll a random movie or TV show, watch it, and then react. <laughs> And our $10 and up supporters get to hang out and watch while we record. And we've got a couple of them here with us right now watching us live while we keep screwing this up. Although that should be edited out for those of you listening to the audio version. Um, And they hang out and chat with us after the show. So if you are not yet a Chipperish supporter, now is the time to start. We will be back next time with our illustration discussion of Raiders of the Lost Ark. We will be talking about how the central narrative conflict works in that movie, so be sure to watch it to refresh yourself and then join in on the fun. Until then, ain't no amount of talking gonna make Juliet not a Capulet. I love it! That rhymes when you say it in Southern.